0: From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Whether it's the most elegant wedding reception or a simple family birthday party, no celebration is complete without a cake. On this week's show, we explore the delicious dessert in all its glory. First... We sit down with Charlotte McGee, the alter ego of Debbie Does Dobosh, to find out how she's given the traditional New Orleans Dobosh cake a 21st century makeover. Next, James Beard award-winning author Alexandra Crapanzano lets us in on the sumptuous secrets of Parisian home bakers found in her book, Gâteau. The surprising simplicity of French cakes. And finally, we'll head back to the United States to trace the fascinating history of domestic deliciousness with Anne Byrne, author of American Cake. So get your fork ready. The oven timer's about to ding on this week's Louisiana Eats.
1: I'm Charlotte McGee, a.k.a. Debbie, of Debbie Does Dobosh. For generations,
0: New Orleanians knew it was a truly special occasion when Dobosh made an appearance. This delightful cake consists of multiple thin layers stacked one upon the other and held together with creamy chocolate or lemon custard before being topped with a silky smooth fondant icing. It originated at Beulah Ledner's small uptown bakery in the 1930s after she adapted an old family recipe for Hungarian Dobas Tort to better suit New Orleans' climate. Citing the city's love for everything French, Ledner named her version Deberge, D-O-B-E-R-G-E. A new word New Orleanians have been pronouncing in fancy, pretentious ways ever since, but us old timers, including Charlotte McGee, still say "dobosh." Nearly a century later, Charlotte is taking this traditional favorite in entirely new directions with her business. Debbie does dobosh, with flavors like peanut butter sweet potato spiced latte, and white chocolate with fig and goat cheese, which Charlotte's creating in her kitchen is far from anything Beulah Ledner ever considered, yet remains true to the classical Dobosh application. She joined us in our studio for a multi-layered conversation.
1: So, Charlotte, how did this begin? I was in college working at Ambrosia Bakery in Baton Rouge. Uh, I started in that front of house, just, you know, a summer job, actually, Um, and then went back there to work uh, in the back and stack cakes. I really enjoyed Stacking the Dobosh. Also, I was new, and the Dobosh is a very labor intensive cake that nobody else necessarily wanted to get stuck doing. So I got stuck with him as the new person, um, but didn't mind. Really enjoyed it. Wasn't ever planning on making it a career. <laughs> it just it came back up several years later. Uh, I was working at Wino Wine Institute New Orleans. You know Brian.
0: Love um, that Brian
1: Berkey. When Amanda was managing, Amanda Toops. Uh, Well, wasn't that just the perfect storm? Yes. (laughs) Storm is a great word for that. (laughs) Uh, We actually were out drinking one night after work, and we started talking about dobage, who knows why. And I started telling her about the process of making it, and she just very impressed said, oh, well, you have to start doing it. You have to start making dobage. You have to. She decided that night it should be, erotic dobage, catered to bachelorette bachelor parties, (laughs) I scandalized, said, no way, or only if I can change my name, can I be Debbie. She didn't miss a beat when I said that, and she said, only if I can be Dallas. (laughs) We immediately named it Debbie Does Dobage, and Brian allowed me to start selling some of the small little pedophore versions as I was testing things out at Wino, and people started ordering them to my surprise, and it just kept going and going and going. I first remember you um, at
0: our dear friend T. Cole Newton's place, Mm -hmm. 12-mile limit.
1: That was the next step. They just had their 12-year anniversary.
0: So, yeah. And we were
1: initially, like when he opened, we were immediately selling slices, and he let us have that as home base for our order pickup spot as well. People were still placing orders. Oh, God. Just throughout this whole thing.
0: Well, your names of everything, not just your business name, they're so clever. So um, how did you come up with your own special name
1: for what you just oh. referred to as a pettiford? We call them dough bites. I think that was just a very natural early thing. Um, as far as I know, no one else makes dobage bosh Um mm-hmm. And I just think that's so important. I love a pedophore that's on all of the sides except the bottom covered in that good poured fun and icing. So, Charlotte, um,
0: did you learn the basics of how to make the pudding, Mm. the basic cake recipe? Did you learn that at Ambrosia? Or how did that
1: all get developed? I just armchair food science. (laughs) Just testing and tasting, and there are guidelines. I do think that you need to have at least six layers of cake to call it dobage. Um, We use seven layers. That's just where it landed and how tall our cakes bake in the pans and how we need them to fit in our shipping boxes. Um, So we do slice them. Um, And so seven layers of cake, six layers of pudding. It gets very wiggly as it gets taller. We use pudding. Some people use custard, lemon curd, things like that. Um, We just want it to be kind of as light as possible. It's such a rich cake no matter what, because it has six layers of filling. Would you take us on an exploration of some of your
0: cakes and flavors? Your sponge cakes are wild. You
1: even have a (laughs) rainbow one. Sure. The rainbow one is still pretty much just a vanilla sponge cake with food coloring. (laughs) It is a very complicated one to put together, you know, because then you have to slice all each color up and, you know, put them into Roy G biv order before sacking them. But why not do red velvet and carrot and cinnamon for our king cake cakes? Um Devil's Food for some of the cookies and creams and triple chocolate. Everyone always asked when we haven't had it on the menu in the past, um, when we've downsized a bit here and there after Hurricane Ida, for instance, triple chocolate is the one that people just demand. Triple chocolate. Mm -hmm. And so
0: that's chocolate cake and chocolate filling and fondant. Right. Right.
1: One that I wasn't sure if it was going to go over, um, fig white chocolate goat cheese is so delicious. The fig pudding, now that I'm thinking about it, is one of my favorites just on its own. Um, It's so good. And then the the poured fondant is white chocolate and goat cheese flavored. That's a really popular one for weddings for I some bet. reason. Mm-hmm. We also like to use alcohol in our pudding. Café Brulot, king cake flavor, Dobosh, is maybe my favorite flavor that we have done so far. It shocked me how much I loved it. It's so good. And, and you know, Dobosh is such a classic
0: New Orleans thing. Mm-hmm. You have expounded on that
1: a bit, haven't you? I have. Uh, <laughs> So we a few years ago started making a nectar snowball flavor um, using the K and B syrup, actually, in the pudding and in the pour. It's so beautiful and so good and so, no- so nostalgic, and we just. Ugh. You
0: know, I think Beulah Ledner herself would put a stamp of approval on your cakes Uh,
1: well so that's funny you mentioned Beulah Ledner in the very beginning of this I was very nervous to mess with such a tradition I mean I saw no reason not to and I knew that I could make it just better and so much more because why not Um, but I was nervous that people would would not love me changing something like that Um, I no longer am afraid of that (laughs) no you have no need
0: to So, you know, your business grew with the help and encouragement of restaurateurs and bar owners like Cole Newton and Amanda Tubes. Mm -hmm. At what point did you say, Okay, I'm ready for my own bricks and mortar?
1: Um, well that was just we had been kind of looking around, I guess during the time that we were at twelve mile, we started Shopping around and found bakery bar pretty quickly in that process. I think I don't really recall actually. <laughs> I love the concept
0: bakery bar. Mm-hmm. I don't know of another place in the country
1: that can claim to be a bakery bar. Sure, and that was that was the plan from the very beginning. I knew that I never wanted to just open a bakery brick and mortar, I had been working in bars and restaurants and found that life more fun Mm -hmm. uh, than waking up at four and five a.m. just to make cakes and, you know, send them out to birthday parties. I wanted the birthday parties to be in the place where I was making the cakes. And I'm sure you've had a lot of that happen. Oh, yes. Bakery Bar is a very celebratory place. Anything you're celebrating (laughs)
0: <laughs> Tell me about the experience at Bakery Bar.
1: What people will experience who come to oh my see you all? It could be anything. Uh, we do brunch food from 11 to 3 and then a little break and dinner from 4 to 10. And the drinks at the bar.
0: Tell me about the development of some of those.
1: The cocktails are amazing. Uh, Vincent Heights, um, who we met at Coquette years and years ago. Um, is heading up the bar along with Joseph Witkowski. They're just great. I was actually there last night catching up with an old friend and hadn't tasted uh, one of them yet, the Feel the Rhythm. is a bamboo rum apple cocktail, um, cinnamony, and just so, so good.
0: It's incredible to think of pairing cocktails with Dobosh cake, but... That's an old story, heading back to 12 Mile Limit.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Even when people used to be able to kind of create their own custom cakes and would ask, like, does this flavor go with that flavor? And I would almost always say, like, it's all sugar. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not going to find a bad combination. But these these drinks are just... So fun and so good unto themselves, but absolutely have a slice of cake with all of them.
0: And then you had an amazing expansion, because other than the bakery bar, which is almost under the Mississippi River Bridge, but not quite, sort Mm -hmm. of just on the other side from the CBD and the Warehouse District... Mm Tell us about your other location and what goes on there.
1: So now we're also out in Rivertown, Kenner, all the way at the end of Williams Boulevard, um, right by the levee. Uh, Debbie on the levee is the name of that location. That's where we bake all of the cakes these days. That's basically a commissary for Debbie Does Dobage, but it's also its own storefront. Um, Same display case with all of the slices and bites and things that you find at Bakery Bar. Um, Some light fare. We're actually very soon going to be opening up for some breakfast hours and sell some more like egg sandwiches and things like that in addition to the usual pastries and biscuits and scones and cake. So I'd like to hear from you about the reception
0: you have received. Tell me about what your customers say. Do you ship cakes? How far has the Debbie Does Dough Bash Arm extended.
1: People are so nice. We do ship cakes now. We ship cakes through Gold Belly nationwide. People love being able to just ship the classics, especially around the holidays, um, king cake season, of course. People are nostalgic for a slice of home, so we've been sending out a lot of our king cake flavored bush right now. I suppose another great service you're doing to the community is.
0: Helping Little Pallets develop the love for Dobosh cake
1: that we all grew up with. So a lot of children's parties. Yes, yes. In fact, a really lovely thing is recognizing uh, the same names on cakes year after year. Uh, there's a family that comes in town for Jazz Fest every year, and I'm pretty sure that we've made this little boy's, who is now not a little boy, birthday cake for most of his life. His name is Miles. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great story. Well, thank you for being
0: such an amazing baking
1: culinary ambassador
0: to the world. (laughs) You're really representing. So thanks for doing it right, Charlotte. Thank you. I'm doing my best. That was Charlotte McGee of Debbie Does Doughbosh. You can find her baked goods and doughbosh cakes mixed with lots of cocktails and savory yummies at Bakery Bar in New Orleans and Debbie on the Levee in Kenner. Or check her out online at DebbieDoesDoughBerge.com. What is fondant? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. Coffee And you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, now celebrating 100 years of hot sauce deliciousness. Always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt nothing artificial crystal hot sauce how new orleans does flavor from rouse's markets synonymous with seafood straight from louisiana's waterways rouse's markets tastes like home and from camellia brand beans done right a new orleans tradition since 1923 Now celebrating their centennial by donating one million bowls of beans to Second Harvest Food Bank. What a way to say thank you to the community they call home. To learn more and view the new video by award-winning documentary filmmaker Joe York, visit CamelliaBrand.com. This week's Culinary Quiz Question brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What is fondant? Well, for starters, it's that icing that Charlotte McGee uses on her Dobosh cakes. And it's what Beulah Ledner used, too. Let me be clear. It is not that nasty stuff you can buy now pre-made at craft stores. I don't know exactly what that is, but I really don't want to eat it. Marion Rombauer Becker did broach the subject of fondant in the 1964 edition of The Joy of Cooking, but not in conjunction with cakes. Instead, you'll find it in the candies and confections chapter because fondant sometimes is used in candy making as a filler, or for those insipid little buttermints. Fondant appears in Escoffier's 1903 classic cookbook, Le Guide Culinaire, as an icing for cakes. But if you want to try this at home, I suggest using the recipe on page 449 in the original 1979, The Making of a Cook. That book is my personal cooking Bible and was written by my French cooking teacher, the late, great Madeline Kamen. She reissued Making of a Cook in 1997, but that original is by far my favorite. I'm Poppy Tooker, and the fondant icing made by Charlotte McGee of Debbie Does makes for some real Louisiana Eats. When you think of French desserts, pictures of chocolate eclairs, rich cream puffs, or delicate macaroons elaborately displayed in a patisserie may come to mind. But what about the simpler side of French baking? The many kinds of cakes that Parisian families make and eat at home. Alexandra Crapanzano is the author of Gâteau, the Surprising Simplicity of French Cakes. Having spent time in France as a child, Alexandra grew up learning firsthand the French approach to home baking. In gateau, she shares that knowledge, along with more than 150 recipes.
2: You know, I started this book at the very start of the pandemic. And, you know, looking back right now, I don't think I knew this at the time, but I realized I was truly writing and baking and eating my way home. I was in the States and I hated that I couldn't get to France, that I couldn't see my friends in France and in some ways, that you know, that it is my second home, and and I felt uh, cut off from it. And you know, I began what I thought was going to be a short book. I thought I'm going to perfect a a cake every day, and the pandemic will probably be you know a month or two, and uh, and I'll do a little book of sixty pages. And then the pandemic grew and grew and grew, and my book grew and grew and grew. And at some point. I really stopped and I said, you know what, there has not been a book about the cakes that the French people bake at home. There have been so many books about patisserie that are gorgeous and, you know, filled with intricate recipes that take days and days and days. But there hasn't been anything on, on what the French actually bake when they come home after work at night and they want a little something sweet. So I really wanted to document that. And it really did at that point become a, a real passion project. I had no idea this is so deeply ingrained in the French people that they learn a cake recipe in nursery school. They do, they do. Actually, my town now is more like kindergarten, I guess, but it's uh, it's incredible. So they make a yogurt cake in kindergarten. It is it is basically on the national curriculum, and it is so fabulous. And uh, honestly, I've I've had every age person make this cake in my life.
0: One of the things that I think Americans probably need to wrap their head around is that French cakes are really more about taste and less about sugar. It's, um, that is one of the things that the French have mastered so well because
2: you can overpower with sweetness pretty easily. You nailed it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the French really want, when you take that first taste of a of a cake, and let's say that cake is a pistachio cake, what they really want you to do is read pistachio. They want that first taste to always be the essence of what that cake is. And I think if a cake is too sweet and you take your first bite, your first sensation is just sugar. And, um, and so they're really going for the nuance. They're going for the purity of flavors. Uh, I love also that, you know, vanilla is not is not the norm when the french make vanilla cakes they they really do the vanilla they'll do vanilla bean and vanilla extract and vanilla paste and they'll really do a vanilla cake but if they're not making a vanilla cake you know they won't necessarily add it and uh and so suddenly you're you're tasting the flavors of fruits and of nuts and chocolate too in an entirely different way and yet um you are so creative
0: in your variations on a theme the the chapter on pound cake was simply astounding because (laughs) you you give this basic foolproof recipe and then you describe 52 variations on that recipe that is wild
2: so I, I I absolutely want everybody to try that recipe. It's uh, it's another back pocket one. These are like Toll House cookie recipes, I guess. You know, they're they're the, they're kind of iconic to the country. Another thing
0: I loved learning was that in many many cases. The cake is going to be better if you don't make it day of. For instance, that you tell us the Bretons like to age that cake 24 hours before they serve it. And then you go on to tell us how to make a flourless brown butter hazelnut tort that can be made three days in advance. So this really makes it convenient for your dinner party.
2: Absolutely. And then there's also this big chapter on on Genoise. And, you know, the Genoise is a sponge cake. And it has a a bad reputation in the States as being super difficult. It's it's not super difficult. It's just that it's meant to be dry because it's meant to absorb copious amounts of a soaking syrup Mm -hmm. and that's where it really gets its flavor so nobody would want to eat that right out of the oven and again that is a cake that you you bake the day before a dinner party two days before a dinner party it is really easy and really practical so that you don't have that last minute rush in the kitchen
0: in your book you you even cover some seasonal topics and so many variations on the Yule log. I loved that.
2: (laughs) The Buche de Noël. Now, if I guess if there is one iconic French cake, it's got to be the Buche de Noël. It is a Yule log, and it is, um, you know, I always, when I was a kid, I always liked it best in chocolate. You now know I'm a chocolate lover. Um, And then when I got a little older, I always liked it in mocha because I I wanted that kind of cool sophistication of having coffee. Um, But recently, you know, what I've noticed is, that you know there's so many incredible flavors going on
0: and also alexandra you know i'm talking to you from new orleans so i was kind of thrilled to see two versions of the galette de roi our king cake not our king cake (laughs) your king cake because of course ours is a little different
2: well, I, you know, I I have to learn more about yours. I love New Orleans. I've never been to New Orleans at Epiphany, so I've never had your Epiphany cake. But um, but the French version is great. It's, it's, you know, it's two layers of puff pastry with a filling that can be a French upon. It can now be a chocolate French It can be a pistachio one. Um, it is super decadent. But if you use a really good store-bought puff pastry, it's pretty easy.
0: Two other things I wanted to cover about your book and its approachability, because it's got me wanting to bake, and that's a miracle. Um The case you make for the handheld electric mixer, bravo, because <laughs> your mom still has her original one even, and so that's so approachable
2: right there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there are no special ingredients needed for this book, no special technology equipment, you know, it's even ingredients. It's really pantry staples for the most part. And then you can you can buy whatever you want. If you have a loaf pan and say an eight or nine inch round and a whisk, you are good to go. Another charming thing I love about the book, which are the
0: illustrations. Your illustrations are so approachable that I don't think I'd feel the same way about it if there was this stunning, beautiful photograph that somehow I was expected to imitate. And you give these clear instructions without pages and pages of the demo photos, all things that you often expect to find in a baking book.
2: I am so glad you pointed that out. And I cannot take any credit for the illustrations. I worked with a wonderful Parisian illustrator. I, I really wanted this book to be illustrated. I wanted people to feel that there was a light touch here, and, you know, and that cake didn't have to look a particular way. And the whole point of the book is is the opposite. It's that these are, you know, cakes which are often dusted in a little powdered sugar or a little cocoa powder. I wanted it also to be timeless. I wanted, you know, these are cl- a lot of these recipes have been around since the Middle Ages. And I've absolutely modernized them. But but it is, you know, there are a lot of recipes in this book that, you know, are they're not trendy recipes. They're recipes that have stood the test of time.
0: Well, I absolutely love the book, and I agree it's going to stand the test of time. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that that Gateau is a book perhaps every bride should include on her registry because I think it guarantees a happy marriage as long as everything ends with something sweet. Oh, I agree.
2: Cake does wonders. <laughs> it does.
0: <laughs> well, Alexandra, thank you for making even me feel like I can start baking cakes. And I'm going in the kitchen and getting started with my hand mixer
2: right away. Excellent. And next time I'm in New Orleans, we will bake one together. That was
0: Alexandra Cropanzano author of Gâteau, The Surprising Simplicity of French Cakes. What's known as the ooey-gooey cake is a southern gas station staple where squares of that sinful sweet lie in wait for you right next to the cash register. The buttery cake was invented by accident during the Great Depression when a German-American baker in St. Louis, Missouri mistakenly reversed the proportions of butter and flour in a classic cake batter. When the cake came out of the oven, It was out of the question to throw it away, so the botched effort was sold and became an instant hit. Boxed cake mix, yes, boxed cake mix, is what makes the ooey-gooey cake so easy to throw together, and its, well, its ooey gooiness is sure to make it a family favorite at your house soon. You can find an ooey-gooey cake recipe on our website at poppytooker.com. I'm Poppy Tooker, and ooey-gooey cake is real Louisiana Eats. Why do my heart
2: still subbed? What makes the soul come out of me? Somebody's really got to tell me. What makes this music sound so sweet?
0: Coming up next, we hear from Anne Byrne, also known as the Cake Mix Doctor. She discusses her book American Cake, which takes readers back to the origins of cake baking in America. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, now doing for chicken what they've always done for fish, fried chicken tenders, wings, sandwiches, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry has you covered with a mix specially for chicken. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. Plan to stay, play, and get away on the Louisiana North Shore this spring. Discover the bounty of the bayou and rich culture from award-winning chefs, soulful mom-and-pop restaurants, extraordinary bakers and creative mixologists. To learn more, request the Explore the North Shore Visitor Guide for inspirational stories, custom itineraries and event information at louisiananorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, 40 minutes from New Orleans French Quarter and a world away.
3: I'm Ann Byrne. People know me as the Cake Mix Doctor.
0: Here in the U.S., cakes are much more than sugar, flour, and frosting. They have a sweet, layered history going back to the origins of baking in America. In her book, American Cake, Ann Byrne takes readers on a journey through our country's past to present, exploring styles from New England gingerbread to Hawaiian chantilly. Before we delved into her research, I asked Anne to explain to me how she became known as the cake mix doctor.
3: Well, after I was trained in France and wrote about food for 15, 20 years, uh, I had three children and they were small and I reached for a box of cake mix in my pantry and decided I would doctor it up and make a homemade frosting. I wrote about it in the newspaper and then that sort of gave everybody else license to start doing the same thing. I wrote a book, Cake Mix doctrine. here I am today. So in your opinion, do you think it's all about the icing? If you use a cake mix, it is all about the icing. I taught a lot of people in this country how to make a homemade frosting because really canned frosting from the supermarket is pretty terrible. In your book, American Cake,
0: one of the things that you discuss is where the word icing comes from. So tell me about icing.
3: Icing is pretty interesting. You know, it all boils down to sugar, puppy, and you know that. I mean, it's sort of like where was sugar available in this country? I'll just backtrack just a second. You know, so much of our history of baking cakes in this country, and this book is all scratch recipes, by the way. It's not cake mix, but it's all scratch. And the history really boils down to was sugar available? Was it near you? Could you afford it? And what did you do with it? So really, the first icings or frostings were really just a little bit of sugar, perhaps beaten with an egg white, simple meringue, thrown back on the cake or even no egg white at all, the sugar thrown on the cake, put back in that hot oven, and it glossed the top of the cake and it looked like ice. And that's where the word icing came from um, that we use today. And of course, it's gotten much more elaborate than that.
0: I loved the way you defined American cake. You say that American cake is one part technique, one part history of homeland, one part available ingredients, and one part American spirit. Why does that make up American cake?
3: Hmm. Because the people who came to our country brought their recipes from the homeland with them. They had to use ingredients that are available here in our country. So they had to adapt a few things. If they made a jam cake, they used blackberries because they were growing wild across the middle middle of America. And the American spirit apart was because they could not rely just on that recipe from the homeland. They had to break some rules. The ingredients were different. The people who made American cake are a wonderful collage of countries, of backgrounds, and all of that contribution created the cake that we know today. And when times are tough and you don't have the ingredients that you want, you use what you have. And some of the best cakes in our country have come out of that time in history. There was a time in America
0: Before baking powder and baking soda, important
3: leavening agents existed. And there was something called emptins that were used? Well, it was just the leftover residue in the yeast that was from beer making or brewing. Uh, So it was what people used as early yeast. Yeast cakes were very popular in Europe, and they had been, and those recipes came with Americans. And when beer was made here, cider was made here, any of that leftover yeasty residue, that was used in baking. The early American bakers were very resourceful. They used everything that they had. And then as our country got away from maybe the time-consuming yeast cakes, that's when potash and pearl ash, which is the ash from burning hardwood trays, that was somehow thrown into a cake or a batter, and they saw that it lightened the cake and the bread, it was miraculous. How did they think of that? Well, I, mean, I, it, I, I don't know how you think of taking some ash and throwing it into a cake. I don't know case. if you think of it. It was used in soap making. But what you think about, the fire was the was not only the heat source, but it was also the cooking source. It was the oven. It was the stove. And burning ash could quite possibly have gotten into the batter of something. And the cook would have noticed that the outcome was a lot lighter and more spongy <laughs> than her original version. So, potash, pearlash, those were early leaveners, which then evolved into baking soda, cream of tartar, and then baking powder as we know it.
0: You go back as far as cakes in early America, dating back to 1650 to 1799. What were cakes like back then?
3: They were very simple, and they were from England. The re- you know, the recipe sources were mostly British. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting were the, the baking that was done by the Quakers in Pennsylvania and f- the first cheesecakes that were baked in our country. They were not New York-style cheesecakes, as we would see later, made with cream cheese. These were made with fresh curds. And these were dairy farmers. I love that. And then all sorts of variations on pound cakes. The carrot tea cake that's in the book, that is an early pound cake. And then there's a recipe out of South Carolina that I found that I just love, which is called a water cake. And that dates back to 1770. And there was that's all the recipe was called in this old diary called a water cake. And when I looked at the ingredients, it being, you know, sugar and eggs and flour, I realized it was a sponge cake. But because sugar was sold by the block or the cone, you had to snip off a piece of it, dissolve it in hot water at the back of the stove or over the fire. And that's why it was called a water cake, because that hot sugar syrup went into the eggs, and then flour was added and made a a sponge cake. How and when was the American layer cake born? It was born after 1865 when baking powder was available. And we should say really it was after the Civil War because people were baking. If they were baking again, they were looking for quicker ways to bake. You would not be putting a cake in the oven And and it could not consume so many costly ingredients. So baking powder had been invented in in, uh, England in 1855. It came over to this country. And that's at the end of the 1800s is when most cooks started using baking powder. And it was a miraculous ingredient because the cakes could bake a lot faster. They didn't need as many eggs. It was more economical. And it really changed the texture of cake. It went from sort of that heavy fruitcake pancake to a much lighter crumb. And then so doing, with the, just think about the evolution of the ovens and layers and how layer pans could fit into new ovens. You could bake more layers. You could make lighter cakes. And the layer cake was born.
0: Well, I was very interested to read in your book how... Broadly, Louisiana
3: figured in to cakes. Oh, I, you all have such a fabulous food heritage here. And so many countries go into sort of your mix of flavors. And really, in, in New Orleans was so ahead of the curve <laughs> you know the rest of the colonies were fighting and bickering and you were all were all down here cooking you might have been fighting and bickering too but you were cooking wonderful flavors and you've got that heritage it's no wonder you've got the dobash and you've got the king cakes it and just what also, about leah chase's butter leah cake, chase's how butter did cake. that end up in your book because well i love mrs chase and then also because It was an example to me of a hard times cake, listening to her story growing up in Louisiana, poor, and how if you were going to bake one cake, it was going to be at Christmas, and if you baked the cake, you opened up your home and shared it with other people. And to me, that is the consummate of hospitality, is really putting other people first and their needs, and to me, that cake says it all, because you didn't have a lot, but when you did have it, you celebrated.
0: I believe the ultimate American celebration cake has to be the American wedding cake and the <laughs> birthday cake. The so birthday. would you talk to us about that tradition?
3: Yeah, well, you know, wedding cakes have changed through the years. They really were originally fruit cakes, and that changed with uh, the wedding of Queen Victoria. And after that, not only the weddings, but also the wedding cake itself became white. But, you know, white cakes were only... A, You could only make them if you had white sugar and also white flour. So flour was not always bleached. And the bleaching process of flour came about as a way of sanitizing flour, but also as a way to show its purity. Um, So it was really revered, especially in something like a wedding cake. The wedding cake being white was a symbol that you had the money to pay for bleached flour and white sugar. It's so interesting now that we're sort of, we're completely away from that. You know, we're baking with unbleached flour. And I think birthday cakes, I've found in this book that they're very regional. Um, A cake that I'm not, that I didn't grow up with is the Wellesley fudge cake, which is out of Massachusetts. And that is a great chocolate layer cake. I mean, it's fantastic. But that's a birthday cake in New England everyone loves the uh, the mother ann's shaker cake that's in the book with the peach jam between the layers that's a new england birthday cake
0: aside from those celebrations
3: then there's also sunday cakes and funeral cakes very much so and i think maybe more in the south and definitely here in new Orleans. Cakes lend themselves to breaking a fast just, you know, for and related to church, uh, you know, church suppers, church lunches, church raffles. Cakes are part of so many celebrations, civic as well as related to church. Um, And I found that true with the Louisiana syrup cake when I talked to Corinne Cook uh, in Baton Rouge. Also, I think cakes, especially in the South, have always been large so cakes have been a way to feed a lot of people a big family a church supper I th- think you know much more so than a pie well and if I'd known you were coming
0: I would have baked a cake <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so grateful you came anyway oh, and I you, hope Poppy. anytime that you come our way You take the opportunity to sit down with us on Louisiana Eats. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having
3: me on. Appreciate it.
0: That was Ann Byrne, the cake mix doctor. You can now find American cake in paperback on bookshelves everywhere. If you're interested in more cake tips, her latest title, A New Take on Cake, offers 50 modernized classic recipes and 150 brand new recipes. Visit AnnBurn.com for more delicious details. It's not from a recipe book. You don't have to be a good cook. i run to the, the oven, oven and look such a simple dish all you do is wish so why not bake a sunshine cake that's it for this week's edition of louisiana eats edible content for louisiana food lovers catch up on previous editions of louisiana eats on poppytooker.com where over a decade of episodes are available for pod and webcasting along with recipes and cooking class videos too Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, and the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. And from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Palmerlow and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, writer Becky Reitz, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mullidoo. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.